Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week we chat again with Christian counselor Brad Hambrick on a Christian perspective of the two most prevalent forms of mental illness, anxiety and depression. So when our friend says, I'm struggling with anxiety, we should assume nothing and we should ask caring, compassionate questions. And the direction that we want to go with them is what does it look like for you to honor God by stewarding all of your life well? And we're going to have to get to know them and their circumstance. Hey, my name is Isaac and you are listening to In Doubt. And that is a weekly audio show that's on the radio across Canada and online via podcast that exists to bring the gospel to the many relevant issues of life and faith that we face every day, cultivating conversation. Uh, this week marks the official first week of September, which in a lot of ways, September is like a mini January, you know, in the sense that a lot of people start new things or just begin, you know, new seasons in life. Uh, For a good chunk of young adults, September marks the beginning of a new semester in college or university, so maybe that's you. But whatever you're up to this September and this fall, we hope you become friends of ours at InDoubt. Every week, we'll have a new topic on life and faith for for you with a popular Christian guest from anywhere in the world. Um, If you're interested in listening every week, uh, the best way to do that is by subscribing. So if you're an iPhone user, just head to your podcast app and search in doubt. You'll find us there. If you use an Android device, you can subscribe on TuneIn or Stitcher or Google Play Music or whatever. Anyways, this week we're digging into the Christian perspective of the mental illnesses of anxiety and depression. You know, maybe you struggle with one and or the other. Um, Apparently they go hand in hand a lot of the time. Or maybe you know someone, a friend or family member who struggles with one of these. We chat with Christian counselor Brad Hambrick again, who just really brings a good Christian perspective to the issue, not only in his content, but also the way he's presenting it. Uh, He's easy to listen to, even though we're looking at generally hard and, you know, tough, difficult issues. So whether or not anxiety and depression affect you directly or indirectly, because of their prevalence in life, you won't get far without bumping into them. So this conversation is a good starter for you to begin considering these things in light of the gospel. So here's my conversation with Brad Hambrick. With me again this week is Christian counselor and author Brad Hambrick. And once again, if you're listening and you didn't hear last week's episode, Brad serves as the pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in North Carolina. He's an instructor of biblical counseling at the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he's also a council member of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. So thanks for being here again with us, Brad. My pleasure. Um, For those who didn't listen uh, last week, Brad, um, can you just give us a basic rundown of who you are and sort of what you do? Yeah, Uh, I am a husband and father, uh, so I've been married for close to 20 years. I have two children who are 10 and 13, uh, so we're in a fun season of life there. Uh, And my ministry responsibilities vary between serving as a pastor of counseling, which is uh, at a church of our size is predominantly serving as a consultant for our staff Hmm. uh, and overseeing uh, counseling ministries of our church. uh, And then also uh, as an instructor at Southeastern Seminary, uh, helping people who are wanting to go into counseling related ministries uh, get trained for that. Cool. That, that's awesome. Uh, I, I just was reminded in my uh, time uh, at Bible college, I had one pastoral counseling class and our textbook was called the BYB, the Big Yellow Book, which was Gary Collins' 
uh, counts. I don't know if that's if that's a resource that you use or not. Uh, it has been updated several times. Yes. So the big yellow book is now the bigger yellow book. <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, overviewing an assortment of mental health concerns and giving some additional best practices, it is it's a quality resource. That's cool. Anyways. Can you briefly give us the definition of mental illness as you sort of worked through that definition? Uh, for those who didn't listen last week, it might be helpful to kind of, you know, for them to hear where you're coming from when we're talking about mental illness. So I think the big pieces in that kind of definition uh, is that uh, mental illness is not a unique experience that some people have and other people don't. Right. Uh, anything that fits in the basket of mental illness is something that we all experience uh, to some greater or lesser degree. Uh, that, And when we designate something as mental illness, we're just saying the depth or duration of that struggle uh, has crossed some somewhat subjective and arbitrary thresholds that would say direct attention to this is needed. Uh, because the passing of time and just ignoring it uh, is not going to make it better. Uh, and it's going to continue to deteriorate and disrupt the quality of my life if I don't begin to address it more directly. Okay, that's good. Now, okay, so th the two most common uh, mental illnesses, you could say, or manifestations of mental illness that I hear, and I think many people would agree with this, would be um, anxiety and and depression. They just seem they seem they seem kind of commonplace. It's very normal uh, to hear someone say, you know, I struggle with anxiety or I have anxiety. They they say like I have this or I have depression. So. I want to talk to you just quickly about anxiety and depression as these are, you know, again, two titles that we hear. Um, let's first look at anxiety, Brad. When someone says, I suffer with anxiety or I have anxiety, what exactly are they saying and what's going on in their minds, I guess? And I think you're right. Depression and anxiety are largely the common cold uh, of the mental health experience uh, that uh, it's kind of like fever. Uh, it... Uh, when you have a fever, uh, it may be symptomatic of something else. Uh, it may be that fever is what you have. Right. Uh, it, uh, and so when somebody says, uh, I'm experiencing anxiety, uh, I'm really anxious, I have anxiety. Um, we, uh, and I don't mean this um, in, a, in a simplistic way, we have no idea what they mean. Um, that at that point, assumptions are not our friend. Um, and, and so what we want to do is we want to ask, um, what's that look like? Uh, is this is this something that's been longstanding? Uh, can you point to some key events in your life? Um, it, uh, because it, it may be that they have final exams next week uh, and they are pressing for some tests. Uh, it may be that uh, their parents are going through a divorce and there is great uncertainty about uh, what's going on in the next stage of their life. Um, sometimes what I find is that uh, anxious people are really, really sweet people. Mm. Uh, that the ability to empathize and place themselves in the life of another uh, so if we just take the, for instance, two people are out there, they're getting dinner together. One of them steps away. They say they're going to the restroom and their friend who is left at the table. Uh, it's two minutes. It's five minutes. And they they begin to think, 
what's going on with my friend? Right. Are they okay? Did they get a phone call? Did I offend them? Did, did they get food poisoning? That constellation of faults. If I ask you, is that compassion or is that anxiety? Um, well, the answer really uh, is both. Interesting. Even at the neurological level, uh, the differentiation between those experiences, uh, it's the same it's the same neurobiological cocktail. Interesting. We just place a different meaning on it. Uh, if that person is somebody that uh, we really like and we appreciate their concern, we call them sweet and compassionate. Uh, if they don't uh, and they kind of get on our nerves and we feel like it's overbearing uh, or they do this too much, then we go, no, that's anxious. Uh, that's not uh, compassion. And so just like dispositionally, uh, there are some people who are just naturally nice. And some people have to work at being nice. Uh, there are some people who are naturally anxious and just the degree of certainty that they want and how much uh, information they feel like they need to have confidence in a decision. And it, uh, well, we all have different degrees of risk averseness. So when our friend says, I'm struggling with anxiety, um, we should assume nothing and we should ask caring compassionate questions. Right. And the direction that we want to go with them is what does it look like for you to honor God by stewarding all of your life well? Yeah. That's good. And we're going to have to get to know them and their circumstance. Uh, and so maybe we get to know our friend uh, and they, they were in a major car accident three weeks ago where they thought they were going to lose their life. And their emotions just have never settled since that point in time. And there may be a mental illness category mm -hmm. that's a very good fit for what they're going through. Post-traumatic stress. And what they are experiencing is what would be called hypervigilance. Mm. Trauma tends to catch us off guard. Uh, and so after you've been through a trauma, you feel like the most important thing for you to pay attention to is whatever you're not paying attention to, because that's what got you last time. Um, and so this elevated sense of being on guard uh, is there. It's a very common experience after a trauma. And so we're asking the question, what is the best way for you to honor God and steward your life after this event? Uh, and we go into the discussion of trauma through the route of or of anxiety through trauma. Mm. Again, somebody else may be a young professional and they're trying to work to get a promotion. They're putting in 70, 80 hours of work per week while they're in their first two years of marriage. And we look at it and we say, you are cramming too much life into too small of a week. Mm -hmm. uh, this isn't about trauma. This is about life management. Um, you know, other people, they may faithfully steward their life. And just from the youngest time, the smallest test as a child, it amped them up. And even when they knew the material, they would do more poorly on the test because the level of anxiety they felt over a minor thing would impair their ability. And we might say, you know, just dispositionally, you're set to anxiety in a way that something that takes the edge off of anxiety maybe medication, maybe it's some good mental health practices that would go through. That's what would serve you best. And it's by talking to our friend that we figure that out. 
That's so good. And I, I remember last uh, last week when we talked to you, you said that it's important uh, to not label the I am, you know, and then insert mental illness because uh, our first, our identity is in Christ. So a question for you would be, if you're counseling someone who is saying, you know, I'm, I'm I, you know, I am, uh, I, I have anxiety and, and that's who I am kind of thing, would you ever get to a point after sort of talking to them and, and learning more about them, would you ever get to a point where you, you sort of counsel them, you know, instead of saying I am and identifying yourself with being anxious, um, you s- start saying things like I, I can, I have a tendency to be anxious. You know what I'm saying? Like, how would you counsel that? Yeah, uh, there is a, uh, a common proverb uh, not biblical proverb, but kind of modern psychological proverb uh, that says uh, genetics loads the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. Mm. Uh, and one of the things that a counselor that I follow and uh, think a lot of, David Pallison, uh, he raises a question to that proverb. Where's the person? Mm. Um, you know, the genetics loads the gun, the environment pulls the trigger. Where's the person who right. has a will and a voice and decision? Uh, another counselor I follow a good bit, Paul Tripp, uh, he says, nobody in your life is more influential than you are because nobody talks to you more than you do. Right. Um, and that, uh, and so we do want to get to the point where if we go through the three uh, scenarios we played out earlier, uh, the person who experiences anxiety as a result of trauma. Uh, that, yes, I did go through this horrific event. Uh, It has shaped me in some ways, but now I can shape this experience that shaped me Mm. the way that I respond to it. Uh, To the person who is overscheduled, there we're probably going to have some strong driving desires that reach the level of idolatry, that I think these things are going to give me life. Now, again, for that person, it may be success. It may be um, material possession, it, you know, whatever that thing is. But there, these things are going to have to be less important for you mm. in order for you to manage your life in such a way uh, that you can enjoy the life that God has for you. Uh, to the dispositional person, um, it, you know, we might take a passage like where Paul talks about his thorn in his flesh. Yeah. He doesn't say, I am a thorn in my flesh. Right. Uh, or I am a thorn. Uh, he says, I have this. This is kind of I, and it's there. It keeps me humble, and it proves to me time and again that God's grace is sufficient uh, in any circumstance. Uh, and so, without creating a false sense of guilt over things for which we have no control, we do not want people to lose their sense of personal agency. Uh, that at creation, uh, God gave us ourselves. Right. It's one of the things that I'm a Narnia fan. I love it. And so <laughs> when you've got Aslan and he draws all the animals to himself, uh, one of the lines that stood out to me uh, that initially I was like, that's just weird. Uh, but Aslan says to the animals, I give you yourselves. Hmm. Uh, and that that there's this sense in which we should, uh, by God's design, have more influence over our life than anything else outside of his providence. Mm. Uh, God's providence and his sovereignty, that has more control than anything else. But outside of those things that 
when we lose the sense that our voice is the greatest influence in our world, then the degree to which we're going to go passive and fatalistic and emotions like depression and anxiety are going to mushroom uh, are going to be much, much greater. Right. No, that that's really good. Um, speaking of depression, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, sort of the same sort of way that I asked about anxiety. Uh, what, yeah. What does it mean when someone says, I, I am struggling with depression? And, you know, um, some people see this as simply discouragement. You know, they've sort of talked about those two different things. So are, are there differences there? And uh, yeah. So what does it mean when someone comes up to you and says, hey, like I, I have depression or I'm struggling with depression? Again, short answer is we have no idea. Right. And we have a conversation with our friend. I'll take us on a different angle here. Uh, There is uh, an author, his name is Alan Francis. Uh, He wrote a book, Saving Normal. Uh, To my knowledge, uh, he's not a believer. Uh, uh, He just doesn't say anything in his book that makes him a very faith-forward person. So uh, at least in his practice as a psychiatrist, um, he he doesn't attempt to be a a Christian psychiatrist. He is just a psychiatrist. Um, But his book is entitled Saving Normal. Uh, because the thrust of his book is that we are medicalizing everything. Mm. And he's in a unique position to make that argument uh, because he was the chairman of the DSM-4. So the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the big, thick book that gets to define all things mental illness. Wow. He was chairman of the DSM-4. He was very dissatisfied with the DSM-5 because he felt like the definitions were being broadened so much that everything was now a medical concern. Hmm. And uh, he's in that unique position where he can look at it in the way that pharmaceutical companies operate and their advertising strategies, and they want to expand their populations and profit margins and that kind of thing. Uh, If you do decide to read his book, uh, I say this as a compliment, he writes in the delightful style of a grumpy old man. <laughs> so you feel like you are on the porch with grandpa and he knows this stuff and he is talking about his life's work. Uh, and, and I consider that to be an absolutely design, delightful style of writing. But he wants to save normal. He's not anti-psychiatry. He views medication as a blessing and a thing that can be used. Uh, but he... He speaks frequently about uh, kind of the normal remedies of taking a vacation, of connecting with a friend, of exercise. Uh, And those things that for much of the history of not just pastoral care, but good interpersonal care that were vitally important, as we've had advances in medication, uh, we have grown to neglect those things. Uh, And he's simply saying the pendulum has swung too far. Uh, And so uh, here is where uh, just because a friend benefits uh, from medication doesn't mean they have a biologically rooted depression. And so let's say you have a friend and they are going through a divorce. And they're uh, in the midst of that, there is a custody battle. Uh, it has been their dream to be a part of a family. All of that is being ripped away. It makes a lot of sense that they are going through an intense depression. Mm. 
it, and they may even benefit from medication serving as a bit of a boost that places a little higher floor under their emotions. Right. Now, they can take advantage of that boost and still seek to honor God in every way in the midst of a situation that isn't of their choosing and what they want and is emotionally difficult. And it should be. Right. They should not go through that experience as emotional Teflon. That would not honor God. Right. Um, it, um, but in that case, what happens too often, uh, whether it's that kind of divorce or the grief of a parent, people will begin medication. Uh, and because it's helpful, they just never stop. And uh, again, that's not necessarily bad uh, in the sense of morally, oh, you absolutely should not do that. Uh, now, in those kinds of situations, we want to look at the best stewardship of your finances and uh, the side effects of the medication. How's that affecting your physical health? The reason that we want to raise that conversation is not as Christians, we want you to get off that medication as soon as you can. Right. But we want you to steward all of your life well. Uh, and while this may have been beneficial for a season, let's evaluate if that season is now over. Um, so... The conversation between uh, anxiety and depression is very similar. Right. Uh, in the sense that the comorbidity rate, that's just a big word to prove to you I went to school, means the rate at which two things exist uh, at the same time is about 80 or 90 percent mm. uh, to the point that depression and anxiety are more seen as a hyphenated word, um, as two sides of the same coin, as opposed to two different things. Okay. And so took a different route with the depression question because everything we said about anxiety is absolutely relevant in this second discussion. I got you. That's good. As a last question, and I'm sort of throwing this at you, uh, but you are a pastoral counselor, so I think you can handle it. When we look at anxiety, depression, hyphenated, um, how does the gospel sort of shed light on this? And how can the gospel encourage us uh, when thinking about anxiety, depression? That's a really good question. Uh, and one of the things that is a, uh, is a pet peeve for me. So whenever you get ready to hear somebody and they're going on their soapbox, you're like, oh, no, here we go. This is warning label uh, disclosure <laughs> that uh, a big deal to me is that the gospel speaks to both sin and suffering. But it speaks to them differently. And, and so too often in a lot of the debates that go on, it's as if we need to understand it as sin. Uh, so that the gospel will apply to it, uh, as if the gospel didn't apply to suffering. Uh, it applies differently. It offers comfort instead of forgiveness. Uh, if you're saying, wait, do I just need comfort? Will comfort get me to heaven? No, we are all simultaneously sinner, sufferer, and saint. Mm. Uh, we need the forgiveness, the comfort, and identity uh, that the gospel gives. And it's not like we have to choose one or the other. And, and so if we ask, how does uh, the gospel impact, um, or is it relevant for somebody expressing, uh, experiencing depression or anxiety? The question that I would invite us to ask is, what part of this experience is rooted in sin? How much of my experience of depression and anxiety is because my beliefs, my values, uh, and my choices are distorted and outside of God's design? 
So our friend who's working 80 hours a week because he's pursuing some degree of success. Okay, we've got some idolatry there. We're neglecting things in home life that would part of that the gospel would call him to repent and be content with life as God designed. it. Uh, how much of this is rooted in suffering? Just a disposition because my body's not working like it's supposed to because my situation is hard and what I need is comfort. And then the longer we struggle with anything, the more we tend to take it on as an identity. And we need that stronger identity uh, as a child of God, as one who's not just been forgiven, but adopted and brought into and made a part of the family and that we are called to be his servants and live on mission. And that being salt and light uh, for his kingdom is what makes life satisfying. Um, So, Uh, It's not even that some people have sinful depression and some people have uh, suffering depression. Uh, Any experience that we have, um, again, I'll do another nerd moment, Fyodor Dostoevsky, uh, who I've not actually read any of his books, but I read a quote that somebody did and it was really good. Uh, He said, a line between good and evil goes straight down the middle of a human heart. And so when I'm wrestling with my experience of anxiety and depression and other things, um, that line is going to go right down the middle of the experience. And there's going to be some parts of it that I need to repent and show greater faith and trust and other spots where I experience comfort and look to alleviate that suffering. Uh, And the gospel allows us to do both. Um, Yeah, another example that I think can be helpful in these kinds of conversations. Uh, It is shocking to some people that there are more psalms of lament than there are psalms of praise. Yeah. And that when God, in that book of the Bible that God gave us, that is, you know, it, it's that one book that we are most supposed to speak back to him. Uh, most of the rest of the Bible is him talking to us and saying, do this, don't do that. Here's what's going to happen. Don't freak out. In uh, the psalms, we have God saying, here's words that you can speak back to me. Right. And the fact that he wrote most of those in the minor key for hard times says when life is difficult, when you're in these spots and it's suffering, here are the kinds of things that you can speak to me. You don't have to come back when you can cheer up and say happy, clappy things. Yet uh, there is a lot of comfort even in that. Yeah, that's so good. I love that. Um, thanks, Brad. I, I, I Obviously, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me both this week and last week. Um, again, if you're listening and you want to see more and read more of what Brad's done, and which includes uh, books, blogs, videos, things like that, just head to bradhambrick.com. Again, thank you so much, Brad, and I hope to have you back on the show again soon. Uh, it's been a joy. I'd love that. That was Christian counselor Brad Hambrick. Uh, Since it's September and we're beginning a fresh start in a lot of ways, like we said at the beginning, I wanted to remind our listeners and maybe share for the first time to those who are newer with In Doubt, um, last February, we released our very first Bible study project called Jude for the Faith. It's a five-week personal or group Bible study that goes through the book of Jude, obviously. Uh, It's all online, and each episode includes a reflection and questions, and obviously a main kind of video portion as well. Also, the best part about it is that it's totally free, so you can just head to jude.backtothebible.ca to begin. Also, if In Doubt is a ministry you'd be interested in financially supporting, that would be awesome. Uh, We survive on God's blessing through listeners who believe in our mission. So just click the donate button at indoubt.ca. 
if you live in Canada, or indoubt.com if you live in the States. Keep connected with us this week over Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we'd also love to hear from you. Maybe you have a topic or guest you'd like to suggest. Uh, you can reach us on our social media pages or by emailing info at Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we talk with journalist and author Brett McCracken on the awkwardness yet essential practice of church community. See you then. Indoubt Ministries exist to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S.